Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why does making friends as an adult feel so what hard? What should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a foreign But that why was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Welcome back to the Every Girl Podcast. Our episode today is all about finance. If you guys have been following for a while now, you know that finance is not my favorite topic. I would way rather talk about lymphatic drainage and reality TV than talk about my finances. But I like to have on experts that make finance fun, as fun as possible, or at least make it feel realistic and tangible and view it through the lens of self-care, like using finance as a tool to care for ourselves and seeing money as a resource to live our best lives instead of just like saving being the end goal. So I have on Monique White today. Monique is a financial expert and the head of community at Self Finance, which is a credit building platform that works to increase economic inclusion and financial resiliency. Monique has more than a decade of experience in the financial industry and knows firsthand the experience of being denied a loan and paying off her debt. She has such an interesting story, you guys. She had multiple jobs as a single parent. She self-taught herself through financial education. She says on this episode how she went to YouTube first to start learning how to improve her credit score when she was denied a loan. Monique not only rebuilt her credit, but went on to become a financial expert and educator to help other women rebuild their credit and get ahead with their finances too. She's now been a featured expert in multiple media outlets, including Her Money, CNBC, Money.com, and Ebony Magazine. You guys know I love the word tangible, but Monique's insight she shares today really is tangible, I swear. I love the way that she breaks everything down very realistically. Like this is not the financial expert that's going to tell you to put thousands of dollars into an index fund or some advice that you're like, I literally don't know what that means or how to get the money to do that. Those are not the experts that vibe with me. I don't know enough. I, I just end the conversation feeling like, stupid, not good enough. Like I can never get ahead. So I really enjoyed Monique's advice. I know you guys will too. She's talking very realistic things that are super helpful, like paying off debt, improving your credit score, changing your relationship with money. Side note, she worked for many years as a financial well-being consultant. So we dive into money psychology and how communication style about finances is so crucial for improving your wealth. I thought it was a very interesting conversation that also had a lot of tangible, helpful takeaways for anybody at any phase, no matter what your income is or your relationship with money. Everybody can get something out of this. Please welcome Monique White to the Every Girl Podcast. Monique, welcome to the Every Girl Podcast. We are so excited to have you today. 
I'm excited to be here. I really am. I love the every girl. <laughs> I am. I'm obsessed. I actually didn't know there was a podcast. So I'm like, wow, this is big. It's big. A lot of people are sleeping on the podcast. Okay, Monique. So I would love for you to share with our audience your journey with money and how your relationship with it has progressed. So starting when you were a child, like going back to the very beginning, what did you believe about money? What do you remember your relationship being like? I didn't have a healthy relationship with money growing up. My dad, he left after my mom and my dad divorced. He left and I didn't talk to him until I was an adult. So it was just me and my mom. She was a single mom and she had me when she was 18. So she was only 18 wow. years old and trying to put me in private school and, you know, just trying to give me the things that I need. So everything was pretty much in and out and all about necessities, right? And the basic things of life. And that was pretty much it. I just know that when it comes in, you spend it, you pay your bills and that's it. And if you have a little bit of extra, you go eat or something, but it was never rooted in like, building wealth or like making sure your credit is okay. So when I became an adult, I felt like I was financially behind a lot. When it came to my peers, I feel like they were just like succeeding and getting all these things in these cars and those apartments. And I just wasn't there yet. But at the time I was still so young. So it was like, whatever, when it happens, it happens. And it wasn't until I moved to San Antonio from the Bay Area, I wanted to reconnect with my dad. And so I moved in with him and back home people, you know, the Bay Area is really expensive. So it wasn't uncommon for people to still live at home. But I get to Texas and, you know, the cost of living is a lot lower and there's jobs booming. Everyone my age is living on their own, buying houses, new cars. I'm like, oh, I need to catch up. Like I need to get (laughs) get it. So I go apply for an auto loan. I'm like 22 now. I go apply for an auto loan and I'm denied. And I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. So I check my credit score for the very first time at 22 years old. And I see a credit card that I opened when I was 18 years old, my freshman year of college. And you know what I did with that card? I went to Hawaii. Like I was not (laughs) about that card. Like I was like, spend it and whatever. And I remember my mom being on my butt about it. She was like, I'll make your first couple payments, you know, and then good to go. But I just, it it was, I had no clue how credit could affect me in the long run. And so four years later, I'm like, how is this still here? How's this possible? And then I see student loans from my freshman year too. I wasn't making payments on those. So that was impacting my credit. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. Like, how am I going to move on with life as an adult if I don't have good credit? So I did this like deep dive into credit. And I think this is like when YouTube was starting to pop off a little bit outside of makeup. And you were finding like educational content, like how to's. And so I'm like searching how to fix my credit, how to work on my credit, how to build my credit. And all this stuff was popping up. And it was so overwhelming and intimidating and I didn't know where to start. And I kind of had to like weave through all that information and figure out what was real and what wasn't. Here we are now, like I've taken what I've learned and I felt like I needed to share that with my community. I grew up in East Oakland where I've seen businesses close and houses foreclosed and just how, you know, the economy has impacted the neighborhood. And so I felt like I wanted to take what I've learned, help my community and help others so that they can be financially successful too. And And I feel way more confident about money and secure than I did when I was a child. It's amazing to hear stories like yours, where people do not set out feeling like I'm a financial expert or like I'm, I'm going to school for money. And 
Like, it's so crazy to me to hear stories like yours where you had not only just like you didn't know much about money, but you had a bad experience where you were rejected from the loan, right? And so you had to rebuild up your credit. I also love picturing you like looking through YouTube, like how do I, like that's such a 22 year old move is to be like, oh my God, what do I do about my credit score? So I it, I think it's so empowering for people like me too, who I've talked about this on the podcast before. I have always been like, I'm not good with money. I'm not a money person. Like I almost like remove myself from the identity of someone with money. And so to hear someone like you who has had bad experiences, who was never like super knowledgeable about money growing up and into college to not only fix your credit score, but then to become a financial expert that's helping other women do the same thing. I think it's so empowering to hear because it basically proves that we all deserve and can achieve wealth, achieve abundance. So I, I just absolutely love your story. And I love that you are so open and honest to share with people. And I think it's just like I'm a walking testimony that you don't, like you say, you don't have to go to school for those things. And just imagine if what I learned was accessible to people in any neighborhood, in any community, at any age level. Like what would they know by the time they were an adult? So it's really important to create tools and things like that that are accessible, that education, so they can be successful and they can be an expert and not have to, you know, talk to other people about it, but just in their own lives, you know, and know how to fix their credit and know how to budget and know how to save and invest. I love that focus that you give too. I mean, that's why we're doing this. That's why I'm having you on a podcast that's free for people to listen to because I'm a wellness editor. And so I've started to shift my mindset over the past 10 years with wellness of like the expert is not always the doctor or the you know, nutritionist, like the expert is within, like we are the experts of our own bodies. So the past year or so, I've started to shift my mindset with money to be the same thing of like, yes, obviously there's accountants and tax experts and people that we go talk to and learn from, but it's my money. Shouldn't I be the expert of my money? Like I, so I am shifting my perspective and I love that that's your mission. And that's why what you do resonated with me so deeply beyond what other financial experts do, because you are teaching people how to be the expert in their own lives of their money. And that to me is so empowering for women, for communities who need it, who are not taught money. You know, I, I so I just, I could go on and on about how cool I think what you do is, but I, I love that. I think that's so powerful. A couple months ago, we had on Tori Dunlap, who's the founder of her first 100K. And she asked me what my first money memory was. And my first money memory was thinking I want to start babysitting or like something when I was about like 10 years old. But I know for a lot of people, their first money memory is hearing their parents fight or thinking, oh, we don't have enough to get this toy I want. What is your first money memory? I think the first time I felt like the impact of how money affects your life is me and my mother moving in with my grandmother. So, you know, from birth until the age of 10, 11, it was just me and my mom, my dad, and he moved away. And obviously that was a really big financial setback for my mom because she didn't work or she worked part-time and was going to school, but we heavily relied on my father's income. So after that divorce, when we moved, I'm like, what is going on? And we had to move in with my grandmother and me and my mom, we actually shared a room for like six months until my mom saved up and we moved to like a really big house. I was super proud of her. But um, that was the first time I was like, this is real. Like you, 
you really need money <laughs> to move through life and to create like a stable home and things like that. So that's the first thing that I remember when it comes to money. Wow. And that's a powerful one because I, money obviously has so much to do with stability and security. And, you know, it, it's not just this like, oh, I want money to be able to buy nice things and go on nice trips. It's like, it's a sense of stability. And I think most people can remember that experience somewhere from childhood where they realize a lack of money means a lack of security and safety. So moving ahead now to your 22, you're on YouTube, you're trying to figure out how to fix your credit score. How did you go from that 22-year-old being rejected for a loan to the financial expert that you are now? During the time I was I was always like in finance, so but like you know, customer level. So I did like tax preparation. Well, this was after (laughs) finding out, but I was a teller at a bank and um, I did like online customer service. So I felt like it was just a natural progression to take my new knowledge with my past experience and kind of find what to do next. I moved back to the Bay Area and I found a nonprofit. It was like a consumer credit counseling agency and they helped people create budgets and they helped people reduce their consumer debt. So like credit cards and personal loans. And that's where I became a certified credit counselor. And I just learned so much. And I loved the like intimate level of it. And I say intimate because money is just like, it's a vulnerable part of you and it's like very permanent. And so whenever I had a client on the other end of the phone and they're telling me like, I need to create a budget, I am completely overwhelmed with credit. Like it just felt amazing to be on the other end to help them because I was them. Like I was in their shoes. So from there, I just, I worked there for a couple of years, got certified. And then I moved on to Operation Hope and I became a financial well-being coach. And this was my favorite job until yet because it really encompassed like your well-being because you can't focus on your finances if you have mental health issues. You can't focus on your finances if you don't have resources for food or if you can't afford rent. How would credit be a priority if you have all these other things going on? So it was interesting working with clients where we worked on your credit and your budgeting, but I was able to provide them with other resources that would help them with their overall well-being. So I did a lot of work there. I was like hitting the community hard. Like it felt like a community center. Like, you know, people by name and you just got really close to your clients. And I felt like I wanted to take what I was doing on a bigger level to a bigger stage. And I came across self-financial and I felt like that job description was just written for me really. And, you know, I'm here to connect the customers to the product and provide education behind it, which is really big because people are opening up credit cards and they don't know what to do with it. How are they supposed to know what to do with it? So at Self, like we're really driving the education behind it. And I'm here to let them know, like I was, I was in your spot once and you can learn and you can have a good credit score and you can build, start building your wealth. So here I am like six years later, and I'm just like really happy to be here. That's amazing. That's so cool to see where you came from and like what that you're able to be helping other people. That financial well-being, that is fascinating to me. Can you talk about like what is financial well-being and how should someone be practicing it or achieving it? I think that, well, you know, I recently did a, a workshop with the Spurs Community Leadership Institute and we did a workshop around how mental health impacts your finances. 
and vice versa, and how your childhood can impact how you view money in your adulthood. So I feel like when it comes to money, there's a lot of things to unpack for either from your childhood or there could have been like some financial traumatic events that happened in your life. And it's hard for you to focus on money. Now, when it comes to financial well-being, I think I, I, I covered earlier, you know, you can't prioritize building wealth or working on your credit or even checking your bank statement to see how much you spent if you know that you are hungry. You know, if you can't send your kids to a good school, if you're worried about your housing. So it's like making sure all these different elements of happiness and well-being and financial will always be a part of that. So it's like you have to make sure everything is connected and everything is is working together so that you can be financially secure. You can feel confident, you know, when you know that you have money in the bank in case of an emergency or you have purchasing power, which are good credit score, there's just a different type of confidence that comes with that. And so it's really important to focus on that. That connection just seems obvious to me or not. It wasn't before, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, duh, like the connection with mental health and money, like, of course they go hand in hand and are so integrated. So that's fascinating and a great way to look at it too. Going back to like how the money mindset and like the money psychology, I find that stuff so fascinating. And so I'm curious what you have to say, because I think especially for women, there's a lot of complicated money relationships. I mean, everybody I feel like nowadays has some kind of complicated relationship with money, but I know I can speak for myself of like just identifying more as like the girl who's creative and likes to read in school. I wasn't good at math. And that kind of translated into, you know, well, I am not maybe like going to be the breadwinner. Like there's a lot of like complicated emotions with women and money. So I'm curious how you healed that relationship. How did you start seeing money as something that was a positive piece of your life that you can use as a tool to better your life instead of something that was stressful or out of touch for you or something that like you separated yourself with? How did you heal that relationship? I will say that it's something that I still struggle with because I am a mom of four and I'm married and part of me wants to be like, this really financially independent person because what if something happens to my partner? Then it's on me to take care of that. But then the other half is like, I just want to live like this soft life. Like I want my husband to be able to take over. I want to be able to pick my kids up. Like I want to be able to do those things. So it's like, it's all these conflicting emotions. And so that's why it's important for me to prioritize my mental health when it comes to that. And I do that by keeping the communication open. I've noticed that Within my friend circle group, the older we're getting, we're becoming way more transparent about our finances. Like we're telling each other salaries, we're talking about bonuses, making sure, you know, we're being paid fairly. We're talking about, hey, I came across this like investing app or how do you budget? Like, what do you do with this? Like, what's your advice? So that's one part is having like this community within my friends and being able to share with them how I feel because my husband just won't get that part of life when it comes to being a woman of finances. And then on the other part is having financial check-ins with him and myself and just knowing where I stand because it causes me way more anxiety to not know what's going on financially than like looking and being like, oh, did I spend too much money this weekend? So staying on top of it has decreased and healed everything because remember I mentioned earlier, I didn't look at my credit report for four years. I had no idea, right? So now it's like I'm healing and I'm I'm being like accountable for myself 
and I'm staying on top of it. And I can celebrate those wins too. And it feels good to know like where I came from before and how I view money now and how I take care of money. Wow. Okay. You just gave two really, really good takeaways that I want to like dive into further. So the first one being having a community where you're talking to your other female friends about money. That's huge. And you're so right. Like I'm trying to think of my own female friendships. We don't talk about money. We might joke about like, oh God, like buddy's tight this month. Like we'll joke about it, but it's not in an empowering way. That's like, what are you making? Like, oh my God, I just got a raise. Yay. Let's celebrate. Or, or like what money app are you using? How are you budgeting? You know, like we're not having those conversations. So it's true that women have a unique experience when it comes to money. And so to make sure that you are having those conversations is probably so crucial. And I see how that's a benefit for your mental health as well as for your ability to build wealth. So I love that first tip. How do you recommend people start talking with their friends about money if it feels like an uncomfortable conversation? How did you start going about it or any advice you have for getting that ball rolling? I first would recommend picking friends that you're secure with. I wouldn't just let that be a casual conversation with like a coworker that you're cool with or you know, someone that is a new friend. And I think it needs to be a, a solid established foundation. And then I think I would just bring it up lightly, like maybe start sending them stuff you see on Instagram. Like, have you heard of this? Or what savings account do you use? Like, that's how it started. And then now it's like, we're just feeding each other information all the time. So like, keep it light at first, because you don't know if that person is open to sharing that type of information, but start sending them recommendations um, and then go from there and see how you can build on that. Yeah. That's a great way to like open the dialogue and almost like test the waters. And it is kind of crazy that we're so uncomfortable talking about money. Like it's such a taboo topic, but it's something every single human being in the world is dealing with, has to think about, you know, so I think that that's an amazing point just to like get comfortable with it and to open those lines of communications with your friends and become more comfortable talking about money. And now moving to your partner, what you said about working with your partner on having that dialogue. I think that's another fascinating thing that for a lot of couples, the money conversation is one of the hardest conversations to have. How do you recommend opening those lines of dialogue with your partner or spouse? Yeah, I, you know, first of all, I'm gonna, it's not cookie cutter. Me and my husband, we, we got married after three months of dating. So it was, wow. Very Did you just know each other were the one? We knew each other, but after like actually dating. Wow. But we didn't have, we didn't have, we didn't get to iron out those details about money. So first of all, that is number one. Before you get engaged or you start living with your partner, like have that real conversation. And I'm talking about with everything because once you're combining finances, like it gets real. Um, you need to know where you stand as far as your credit score. Because what if you guys need to move? What if you want to start purchasing a house? And you're going to be very surprised when you go to a lender and someone has a poor score. So, and it might affect that relationship, right? So, I don't think there's a a, a not like a clean way to do it. But I think like having a financial check-in, that's what me and my husband do. Like every quarter, we'll just sit down, we'll talk about our budget, we'll talk about our financial goals, and we'll talk about our credit score, any debt we may have incurred, things like that. So I say like schedule something, put it on a calendar, maybe make it cute, like get a pizza, get some wine or something. And then like just do a deep dive into your finances. And then you know, whatever you need to table later, talk about it later, but still have that conversation start 
So it feels more comfortable because the first time we had it, it was not comfortable. Like there were some things that we still both held back from each other just out of like trying to impress each other still or like a shame around certain debt that we may have had. So it's like the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. Yeah, you're totally right that money is such a vulnerable thing. And and like you almost can read through a lot of people's insecurities and like a, a lot comes up. It's very emotional. And I love the idea of making it a fun, like little date night, light some candles, have some wine, have a pizza. Like, so that's a really good tip and doing it every quarter and kind of going over your goals together. Is there any way that you recommend couples combine finances? I know like some financial experts will say like, you know, everyone have their separate accounts and then have one joint account. Like, have you found that there's any one way or advice on combining finances, even if it's just like moving in together, getting married, having a kid, you know, whatever it is. I think having a combined savings is really important just so that you can get the full benefit of both incomes coming in. I think it's still important to have your own separate checking accounts though, um, just so you maintain that independence. But if you guys are together, you're going to have you know joint financial goals. So having that savings account, it could be like that motivation and that push to keep going and just make your bond even stronger. Oh, I love that. Okay. Joint savings account. That's good. And then it's probably fun to be like, oh, we're saving for, even if it's like a really cool trip, you know, it doesn't have to be like a house, right? But like just that you, you have your combined goals and you have a shared vision of what you want together. Yeah. And then when you do your financial check-in, you have something that's like tying you together. Like you have to talk about that. So I think that's really important to have. That's a great tip. Okay. So now diving into a lot of questions that we had surrounding finances, personal finance, credit scores, all the things. Let's start with the basics. I, and this is a selfish question. This is a question coming from me. (laughs) How do you recommend creating a budget? The first thing that you need to do is have a conversation with yourself. Are you going to be real with yourself? Are you going to be real? Because once you (laughs) take a look at these numbers, you're going to be like, no, I don't spend that much, but it's right there. It's right there in your bank statement. So however you spend your money throughout the month, whether it's, I know some people put all their expenses like on a credit card, or maybe they use their bank debit cards, get that statement and start reconciling or start categorizing your spending. So housing, transportation, household items, free spending for the month, shopping. Don't give yourself any numbers yet. Just categorize your spending for the month. Now, sometimes it may vary month to month. So you might want to do it for the past two months. Sometimes people have like gig jobs where their income is on and off. So one month might not look like the last month, right? So maybe use the last two months, categorize, and then look at how much is coming in and start doing your budget that way so that you can see how much is going out. From there, you can see if you're either at a surplus or if you're at a deficit. And that's when you say, okay, um, I'm at a surplus, like I'm doing good. I can start using this money towards debt. I can start putting it towards a high yield savings. I can start investing. Those are good conversations to have. Or you can start working on your credit. You know, if you checked your credit score, there's some things that you need to start building, open a secured card or a credit builder account, something like that. If you're at a a negative, um, a deficit, then that's where you say, okay, I need to start reducing some of these expenses. But as we know, like people right now are living paycheck to paycheck and that's just not an option. So talk about, you know, ways to increase income, whether it's working overtime, if it's getting a side job or getting creative 
and coming up with your own side hustle. I had to do that when I was on maternity leave. When you're on maternity leave, you don't get the same pay that you get and you get reduced pay. And it was really hard in my household. And I had to get creative and I started a charcuterie business. So I had what? some... Yeah, I had some... I loved it. It just is too time consuming and I had to let it go. But this was during COVID. And <laughs> yeah, so you had to get creative. And I wanted to pick something that I had passion behind because... If you're going to do your own job, if you're going to create your own business, you have to have a passion behind it. So from there, then you're increasing your income and then you can go back to, hey, should I use this extra money to pay off debt or start working on my savings or build my credit? Whatever the case is, there's so many apps nowadays like Mint or You Need a Budget that are really good. At Self, we have our own budgeting template on our website. If you're like a pen and paper person like myself, you can use something like that. So like nowadays, there's just so many ways to budget and you can have it on your phone too. Cause I'm walking around with my phone all the time and I'm like in the grocery store or out with my friends. Like, do I have enough room for that? So it's like super easy nowadays. That's so smart to start with just categorizing. Like that's something yeah. that I've never, I've like tried so many times, like start a budget and like, this is blah, blah, blah. But I've never actually gone through a statement from two months and categorized, like actually see where the spending is going. So that's a really good idea to like form it based off of, your spending tendencies instead of just going off of like, oh, that sounds great. Yeah. And I want people to know that it's hard. Like it's not an easy thing to do. Like, especially if you grew up with certain emotions around money or you're trying to unbreak bad habits or you're, you have like these big goals and getting to your big goals, like it's hard because you still have to do so many small things. So it's like kind of checking yourself, that self-reality check is really difficult. So whatever you're feeling in that moment, if you feel like shame, like, wow, I can't believe I spent that much money on that. Let it go. Move forward. You're doing what you need to do now to be financially successful. So like pat yourself on the back for that. Because I'm sure the vast majority of people, myself included, it's kind of, you almost feel like you're avoidant to it. You know, you're like, I just would rather not know what's going on here. And so to confront it is obviously like the first key piece but it can be very hard because there is that like shame involved or there's guilt or bad feelings and, and like you kind of feel bad. And so I love that mind frame going into it, knowing this is the first step. We're moving forward. You know, we're not going to judge. We're not going to shame. I'm going to pat myself on the back for doing the first crucial step. And then moving forward, now we know the reality. And that's that's it. That's what's important is just knowing where you are. And just getting started. I mean... That is hard. That is tough, especially when you don't know where to start. So having that tough conversation, trying to figure out what to do first is, is really hard. Do you have like a preferred way to do the percentages? Like I know some people would be like 30% on housing or, you know, like I know that there's a bunch of different ideas. What do you think is the right way to kind of percentage your budget? I like the 50, 30, 20 rules. So 50% towards needs. 30% towards wants and then 20% towards savings. That works for me. Now, if you live in high cost of living areas, sometimes that is just not the case. Like San Francisco Bay Area where I live, a lot of <laughs> incomes, like it's over 50% towards housing. It is what it is. But I think the ultimate goal is to get your budget to that point where you are at the 50, 30, 20 rule because you're going to carry that on later on in life, especially when you're on retirement you're living on limited income, reduced income sometimes. So that should be the ultimate goal. Um, so try to structure your budget that way. 
Okay, 50, 30, 20. Yeah, I like that too because it is just kind of like, if that's what's, like, I, I'm always like, I just don't know what's normal. Like I live in LA, yeah. so it's another mm-hmm. high rent rates, high everything else. So I'm like, I just don't even know like what's normal. So to just know, okay, that's the goal. Even if that's not what I'm doing right now, it's like, that's where we're working towards. And so that's helpful just to have that frame of reference. So I like the the quick and easy numbers. I also like to call it when I started putting together my budget, I decided to call it my spending plan instead of budget because I felt like budget felt like very like lack mindset and like spending yeah. plan. And I was like, even if I'm saving money, that's still like spending it on future me. You know what I mean? Like right. that's, so it's all, I just, I don't know. It sounds more fun than like holding it all in. So that's just my, my two cents is spending plan, that. not budget. <laughs> I think there's so many ways to like gamify or like sh- structure your finances in a way that make you feel comfortable and make you want to be a part of it. Like you don't have to like, you know, take the names of accounts or whatever the way things are structured for, you know, have that education, but then like restructure it to the way that makes you comfortable so that you're not avoiding your finances, like renaming your budget. Like that's a great idea. Now you're like, I'm on top of it. Now I'm like, spending plan sounds fun. I'll go spend a Sunday night with my spending plan. That sounds way better. (laughs) It's like spending, spending, spending. I don't, it just, you know, it's like the mindset of it. Do you have any other little tricks that you have helped clients with that's like reframing like that? That's like making it a little bit more enjoyable and comfortable for them? I think that not necessarily like renaming it, but just like reframing the way that they view money. Like it's okay. Like give yourself room in your budget to do something fun. Like we don't want you to just pay bills, buy household essentials, and then put it in savings. Like that's, I mean, that's like the basis of 50, 30, 20, but it's like, have a little room in your budget to enjoy life, whether it's a hobby or maybe you're a foodie. Like there's just so many different ways to enjoy money and there shouldn't be any shame behind spending as long as you like properly budget and you don't mismanage like your finances or your credit or anything like that. So it's like, they're like, like, yeah, money can be enjoyable. You know, it, it, it is a tool to build wealth and things like that. But, you know, we're all here to enjoy this beautiful earth. Like, so do it. That's so true. That's like, like the fact that, yes, we want to save money for our future self and to build wealth. But the end goal of that, of saving money is not just to have more money. The point is to be able to spend it, right? So I love that reframe of like, you're not going to like die like Scrooge with all this money that you've, like the goal is that you are, being able to spend it on whatever your rich life looks like. So I, I love, I think that is so, that probably is like one of the ones that is really going to change everything for me is like rethinking of, it's not about, again, maybe going back to my spending plan rather than budget. It's like the goal is not to just save and save and save and save. And that's something that I've fallen through is like, no matter what I'm spending on, I feel guilt from it. And so like, that's actually, I'm so glad that you said that because it's, reframing to be like, no money is supposed to be spent. You know, it's supposed to be a tool to get what we want out of life. It's just about being intentional about the way we're spending it versus what we're saving for our future selves, you know, like being intentional about that so that we're actually using it to live our best life instead of maybe the unintentional little things that can build up. And then we don't have the money that we want to be able to spend on what matters to us. Let's talk about paying off debt because I know a lot of people listening, whether it's student loans, credit card debt, another kind of debt, what advice do you have to make that process easier and to pay off quicker if possible? 
I think it's important to understand when you're looking at your credit report, what type of debt you have. Do you have open credit cards? Are those credit cards closed and now they're charged off? Do you have collection items? Are there things in your public records like, you know, judgments and things like that? So understand like prioritizing the debt is really important. When you're looking at your credit report, I would take care of anything that's going to like potentially damage your score immediately. So if you have credit cards that are closed and you have not been paying them any attention, like how I was, um, and they're charged off, there's a potential that they could be sent to collections, which could damage your score even more. So I would, first of all, take care of that. Um, and then I would start working on any high interest debt. Um, I know I've had clients that had like payday loans where the, the interest rates were like 125%, like ridiculous, predatory. So if you have Whoa. loans like really high interest, go ahead and pay that off because the longer it's sitting there, the more interest it will accumulate, the higher the payment it will be. It's just a hot mess. And then I would apply that same method to any open credit cards that you have. Either you can choose the credit card with the highest interest rate or you can choose the card that has the lowest balance. So if you have a credit card that's $50, you're like, I can knock that off, pay it off. And then that that's just something that you're marking off your to-do list. And that might motivate you even more to just keep knocking off debt. But yeah, I would prioritize high interest debts, any charge-offs or anything that could prevent you from like renting or purchasing a house, like in your public records, that would be a priority as well. Okay. I like the almost like prioritization of here's a list of things to go through and be like, okay, check, got that taken care of now on to the next thing. So that's a really helpful way to look at it for something like student loans that the vast majority of people in our country are dealing with. Is there a certain, like, I want to say, like, should there be a percentage? Like once someone graduates college and they have these student loans, should there be a certain percentage of their paycheck they should be aiming to put into the student loans? Or like, how do you help people make a plan for that? With student loans, it's a little bit tricky. Um, they usually have lower interest rates than like any other debt that you would have. That's normally like the last thing that my clients will pay off because they're trying to pay off the high interest debt. Yeah. Okay. If you don't have any other debt, I definitely would make like any go refer back to your budget. That's why you made it in the first place. And if you have any extra payments, definitely go ahead and do that. What I typically would do with my clients is refer them to a student loan counselor um, because they do specialize in those type of things like negotiating payments or interest rates and reviewing their budget, seeing what they can afford. Pay on time. That's what happened to me. I wasn't paying on time. I neglected them and I had a bunch of 30, 60, 90 day late payments. So whether you're still trying to figure out how much extra money to apply, just make sure you're hitting that minimum payment. And always keep communication with your student loan provider. Like uh, a lot of people might disagree with me, but I I have had a lot of help with my student loan lenders, and they are just like trying to help you figure it out. So keep up that communication if you are in a hardship or you're trying to figure out how much to pay them each month. That's really good tip, actually, to like use the lenders and like know that they're on your side and like to be open and honest. And I think just that mindset around student loans or debt or anything that you, any kind of debt, I think is important to like, remember to not ignore it. And that's like the main takeaway I've heard from you that I personally know so many people, and I don't know if you've watched the new show, how to get rich on Netflix. It's like fascinating. I was just watching it last night. The book is really good. Oh, the book. It's like the Bible in my household. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> Understandably so. No, it's really good. And that and he talks about like guilt-free spinning in that too. And it's like he really lays it out like what you need to do, like step by step by step. So Yeah, that's such a good resource. What do you like about the show? The show is fascinating because he's like going through different people, but it made me think of this one person on the show who has I think it's student loans and I forget if it's other debt, but he was like, I'm like just going to go to the grave with this debt. Like I'm never paying this. Like he just like kind of assumed this. And it it made me like laugh a little because I've heard of many people that will say, oh, I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with that like when I'm rich, when I'm 50. And like you, it's just like an easy thing to like push off and push off and push off. So I, I think that that advice of just don't ignore it. And like, that's the bottom line, like confront it, do what you got to do, start as soon as you can. You know, I think that that's a really good starting point. And like, it's not something that's out to get you. You know, it's something that you can make part of your life. I don't think a lot of people associate student loans with like credit. Like, no, it's on there and they're reporting when you're late. So like a lot of people just, like you said, throw it to the back of their mind, but it's affecting your credit score. So please stay on top of that. That is a good PSA that your student loans do affect (laughs) your credit score. So let's talk about credit score. I want to go like so basic of like, why do we care about our credit score? What does it matter? Yeah. So your credit score is important because... You're pretty much paying, you're telling the bureaus like, I am, I'm, I'm trustworthy, right? You're proving your, your financial habits to them. The number is giving you purchasing power. So if you have a good credit score, you're, you're now saying, okay, if you give me this asset or you give, you know, this, I promise to pay it back in the future. And that can really determine your wealth in the future when it comes to like, getting maybe a business loan or going back to school and getting private loans or purchasing real estate. So we need that number to show that we are financially responsible. So credit is super important. That makes sense. Okay. So it's like anything that you're kind of like building assets, like if it's in purchasing real estate, you need a good credit score. Like obviously for you buying a car, you need, if you're going to get a loan, you need a good credit score for that. Going back to school, that's another good example of where you need a credit score. What are some things that, similar to student loans, that people do not realize are affecting their credit score negatively, but you see coming up a lot? Over applying for credit. So 10% of your credit score is new credit. So they're looking at hard inquiry. So anytime you apply for new credit, you try to get a new trade line, It's only 10% of your score. You're only dinged a few points, but if you're constantly applying for new credit and those stay on your report every two years, that's going to have an impact of your score, especially to lenders. It kind of reflects what's going on financially for you. So if they're saying, why are they always applying for a new loan or a new credit card? Is there something going on like in their finances? Do they not have enough income coming in? And that could be a red flag for lenders because they Like if you go apply for any type of loan, like an underwriting, they're going to look at those type of things. And especially if you're not being approved and you're constantly applying, that can impact your score as well. Okay. Fascinating. That makes sense that there's probably a lot of things people are not even realizing are affecting their score. So besides what not to do, like how you improved your score so much what are some tricks or like little habits people can do to begin improving their score if they're listening to this like shit like i got to get my credit score together what are some things that they could be doing besides those tips what not to do is there anything that they can do 
I think that number one, the first thing you should do is stay on top of your credit report. So you can get your credit report weekly at annualcreditreport.com. It used to be once every 12 months, but after the pandemic and you know all these financial crises that were going on, now you get it weekly from the three credit bureaus, which is amazing. So people can stay on top of that, not only to like you know see your credit score, but you want to monitor your report. People are like dedicating their lives to spamming nowadays, and they're just like hacking and taking your information. So you know, on top of staying on top of your score, you want to make sure that you're protecting your identity. And then you want to see like, do you have old debt that you can use? Like, do you have, you know, credit cards that are open, maybe paying that off to boost your score? 30% of your score is credit utilization. And that's looking at revolving debt. Revolving debt is money that you can pay into and keep using. So like a credit card or a line of credit, And the rule of thumb for that is that you want to keep your balances below 30%. So if you have like three credit cards and the limits total to a thousand, you don't want to go above 30%. So that would be $300. Once you go above that 30%, you're going to see your score impacted. So I always tell my clients the quickest way or the most efficient way to build your credit, to raise your score in the fastest time is to pay off those open credit cards because you'll see your score increase fast. But if you're in a position like myself where nothing was open, I didn't have anything being reported, everything was closed, you might want to consider some credit building products like a secured credit card. The only caveat with that is that you have to put down a security deposit. And right now, like people are just, they don't have the money to do that. So you could look for alternative ways to build credit, like reporting your rent and your bills, or you can get like a self-credit builder account where you can, you know, save and build credit at the same time. So it's like so many ways to build credit now. Like I didn't have that back back then when I was starting. I wasn't aware. So those are the things that you can start doing to get on top of your score. Oh my God. I love all of those because I love that there's, it's almost like there's ways for anyone, no matter your situation, there are things you can actively be doing right now to help your credit score. So that's a very empowering way to look at it. So let's say now you got your credit score going well, you got your budget slash spending plan, and you are wanting to grow your wealth. What are some ways that you recommend women start to grow their wealth? I think investing is really big. That's something that I'm starting to get into. There's, you know, apps like Robinhood or like Coinbase where you can like throw money in there. Definitely take advantage of any retirement accounts at your job. So if you have like a 401k and your job matches, please put some money in there. That is free money. So if you put, let's say your job matches like up to 5%, you can try to max that out and they'll match that take advantage of high yield savings accounts. So, you know, big banks, they don't really offer too much when it comes to interest rates. But if you do like online, like Ally or something like that, or Alliant, they'll offer like over one to 3%, which is really big when it comes to savings. So anything that can match your savings or give you the best interest rate, if you're not too knowledgeable about investing, I would start there. Take advantage of like retirement accounts, HSAs, things like that. And then you start going into investing like Coinbase or Robinhood and things like that. Okay. That's amazing. And such great, easy, tangible places to start. I, for the longest time was like, investing is so confusing. And like, I just, it just like, so it sounds so intimidating. And 
I didn't even like, I thought of investing as like, oh, you're putting it in the stocks. And it's like, yeah, I 52 is going up. And I don't even know. I have nothing. No, I have no Wall Street bell. Literally, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. So, but then I realized I like didn't even think about like a 401k being an investment that might just be like stupid of me. But like, I just, I didn't even think about that. I was like, oh yeah, 401k is like what you do when you get a job, whatever. But like the fact that that is really good investing, right? So like, that's an amazing place to just start for people mm-hmm. that feel intimidated by it. So I love and those like little hacks to go to the, the bank, the the apps, like those are all really tangible, amazing places to start. So I love those. I personally feel a lot less scared after you just said that. Cause I'm like, okay, great. I have a checklist of things that yeah, I can start. I okay. Yeah. I could do that. <laughs> I can do that. That's not too hard. The last question, I'm really curious your advice. Are there certain things that you recommend for people kind of going into the more growing your wealth? Is there something that you recommend for people that are in their twenties versus in their thirties? Like, are there, like, I'm wondering if there's you know, for example, like when you're in your twenties and you're starting to get your first full-time jobs and that's when you start the 401k, right? So like little things like that, are there other things that you should be doing in your twenties and then things that you should be doing in your thirties to start growing your wealth for your future? Yeah, I would say the easiest piece of advice, and I wish I would have did it too, is asking for help. And I felt like because I wasn't in a financial position I didn't have enough money to start investing or things like that, that I didn't need a solid plan when that simply wasn't true. That was the the most important time to set a plan. So I think having like a financial advisor or a financial coach is really helpful for setting up a game plan when it comes to your finances and just really holding yourself accountable and sticking to that plan. And they can help you like with everything, budgeting, your credit score, talking about purchasing a house, first time home buying, investing, all of those things. It's okay to do that in your 20s. Nowadays, if you can't afford an advisor, you can maybe go through like your college financial office and they'll have like coaches in there. There's a network of free coaching nowadays, like with United Way or Operation Hope, where you can sit down one-on-one, get like a personalized plan and you can figure out you know, your goals, your whys, what do you want to do later? So I wish I would have did that in my twenties. I just felt like I wasn't in a place to do it because I didn't have enough money, but that's the time to do it. Wow. I did not even know that was a thing. I think of like financial expert is like, when you're a millionaire, you get someone to oversee. I didn't even think that someone like me could go find an advisor to help. That's a, such a good tip. And you said, so there's free ones. Yeah. So you could do financial coaching where they'll review your credit report. They'll talk about your budget. You'll come up with a spending plan. They'll educate you about credit, about home buying, about small business. So like Operation Hope is great. That's where I used to work at before self. Um, United Way is a great... like They're national. Um, so you can just do a Google search or you can go on their socials and you can connect with the coach. And everything nowadays is like virtual. So if you still are nervous to talk to someone about your financial situation, you can do it over the phone. You can do it do you know by Zoom or something like that. So it's like so many ways to connect with a coach nowadays um, and get that help that you need. It's like shopping for a therapist where you're like finding people online. Yeah. A money (laughs) therapist. Oh my God. That's so fascinating. Okay. Monique, this has helped me so much. Like just in my mindset of like feeling like I got this, like things are under control. I feel in, in charge of things. So I have loved all of your insight. We're going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions that are just fun, easy, carefree. Okay. First one, your coffee order. Iced oat milk latte. 
Oh, that's mine too. I just, especially iced is better than hot. Don't you think? Even if it's two degrees outside, I'm drinking an iced coffee. I'm with you. A hundred percent. I'm with you. Okay. The best piece of advice you've ever received. It can be about money or not money. Oh, that's so good. That is so good. Best piece of advice. This is going to sound so cliche. Be yourself. Like, I feel like being myself has brought me to where I am. Like, and I think a lot of us suffer from like being in like these spaces that you might not feel you belong. It's like you're there because of who you are and your personality and what you bring and your charm. So it's like, you don't have to be like everyone else, like whatever you're feeling eternally, if you're goofy, like if you're quiet, like stay that person. You don't have to be outside of your comfortability. So be yourself, please. (laughs) Off freaking men, Monique. I love that one. That was so good. And it's cliche for a reason. You know, like when people say cliche, it's like, there's a reason that it's repeated, but it is one that I don't think, I think like, yeah, it sounds like, yeah, be yourself, but people don't actually live it. So that reminder of like, that's all you need to do is just to be yourself. That's such a great piece of advice. And if you can't take it, then you just, you got to find somewhere that will accept you. 100% change the environment, not yourself. Amen to that. Um, okay. <laughs> well, we got, we're covering so much here. I know. <laughs> okay. A splurge you made that was well worth the money. Probably, um, I went to London. This was like my first international trip. I went to London at the time. Yeah, I was still like living at home and stuff. So this was a really big expense for me. But we flew like first class to London. (gasps) Fancy. I haven't done it since, but (laughs) it was well worth it. Yes. Because that flight is like, like 10 hours maybe. And so I got to lie back and they... They woke you up with, you know, like warm towels and a mimosa. And they were like, do you need anything? And breakfast. It was amazing. So, Oh, my God. Yes, You're like, will you come first. to my house and wake me up like yeah. this every day? I know, right? Can you come home with me? <laughs> that I love that because it, it's actually a, a good answer because I think something like flying first class that, you know, you might get to do once in your life for a lot of people or, you know, not even, but like, that small little upgrade, even once, a lot of people would be like, oh, that's a frivolous thing. But if it's a luxury to you that feels worth it for that moment and like you're treating yourself, again, it's not something to feel guilty about if you can find the way to finance it. And I think we all get the freedom to select what luxuries we want out of life, no matter how expensive or affordable they are. So I actually think that that was a great great answer to have a great lesson to wrap this up of like, Choose your luxuries and don't feel guilty about it as long as you can afford it. Last question, Monique, leave us with any kind of resource, whether it's like a book, a podcast, someone that you follow on social media, anyone that has changed your life. I read I Know Why the Cage Burst Sing by Angelo. And from there, I like read all of her books. And I feel like she used to live in San Francisco, so I resonated with that a lot. But I feel like that opened my eyes to like more not like, I used to read a lot of like how to's and things like that. And and that opened my eyes to like more just creative reading and writing. And I think we talk, we keep, I feel like the theme here is enjoyment, right? Yes. So I feel like, <laughs> that opened my eyes to like, you can read to enjoy, you can read 
free to get lost. Like it's okay. Everything doesn't have to be like motivated by money or things like that. So Mm. I ended up reading like all her books after I read that first one. So that changed my life. Oh my God. What a perfect way to wrap up a finance episode is to talk about that. Not everything has to be about money. Like truly, like that's amazing. (laughs) Or with an end goal. Monique, thank you so much for sharing all of your insight and advice with us today. It was such a pleasure to meet you and get to talk to you. Where can everyone find you and reach out if they want more help or more kind of tailored personalized advice? Yeah. If you want more personal finance tips or advice, you can go to self.inc. We are plastered all over the socials. We're on TikTok, Instagram. Or if you just want to keep up with, you know, like my expert commentary or what I'm doing like money tips and things like that, you can follow me on LinkedIn under Monique White. Yay. Thank you, Monique. It was so fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I sure did. If this episode gave you any value or you're liking the show in general, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference for our show so we can keep growing and bringing the content that you love. If you want more info, you can find us at The Every Girl Podcast on Instagram or theeverygirlpodcast.com. Talk to you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.